Welcome to another episode of More Happy Life, the podcast that will teach you how to trigger upward spirals of health and happiness in your life. I'm Andy Proctor, a happiness activist whose goal is to make your life more happy with science-backed strategies and powerful interviews. If you enjoy this episode, share it and let me know by tapping the stars in the reviews. Welcome to another episode of More Happy Life. You guys, this is going to be a good one. I today really want to share a story with you and then really am excited to talk to you about six really powerful ways to reach your potential, okay? But first I want to start with a story. Before we get into anything else, I want to read you a story uh, of somebody who I really look up to, uh, but that kind of haunts me. So here we go. On May 29th, 1975, Steve Prefontaine had just won another 5,000 meter race at Hayward Field in Eugene, Oregon. This was his 120th win. By this time, he held seven different American records in distance races from the 2,000 to the 10,000 meters. He ran in the 1972 Olympics representing the United States and was on pace to go to the 1976 Olympics to set a new world record. He was likely the most famous track athlete in the U.S. and possibly the world. No one could stop Pre. He was one of the greatest track legends of all time. Despite his amazing athletic clout, Steve's running career was shattered before he ever reached his full potential as a runner. After a meet celebration at a friend's house that night, Steve was driving Frank Shorter, a fellow Olympian, back to where he was staying that night. Just minutes after Steve had dropped off his friend, he was crushed under the weight of his car after it lost control on Skyline Boulevard. One of the most promising athletes to ever live died at age 24 before he had the chance to reach his full potential. The story of Steve Prefontaine will always haunt me. His whole life seemed to line up for the perfect running career. Steve even predicted his runtime to break the world record in the 5,000 meters, which I'm fully convinced he would have broken. At his funeral, Bill Bowerman, who is his coach and the co-founder of Nike, ran the clock for 12 minutes and 36 seconds what Steve predicted as his world record-breaking time. As if Steve were actually running on the track, 4,000 of his friends, family, and fans went wild as the clock ran to a time of 1236.4, a time that Steve never actually ran. Steve's story is to me the epitome of incredible human potential that was never reached. Though he was in the perfect position, the 5,000 meter world record was never broken by Steve Prefontaine. Steve's potential was snuffed out in a moment, but your potential is still alive. And that's what I wanna talk to you about today, is your potential. I wanna wanna talk about, there's so many things that could be a part of this and that can really impact your potential. But I want to share with you six things that I believe are so powerful 
to help you reach your potential. And I will summarize those six things right now before we start and dive into each one of them. So here they are that I feel I feel really strongly about these and helping you to really look at your life and say, am I reaching my potential? Am I like Steve Prefontaine, who is not going to ever reach my potential? Or am I going to look at my life and take a step back and think, what can I do to reach my potential? What am I going to do right now? What decisions will I make to make this happen? So I want to I share six things. The first is satisfying work. The second is life strategy. The third is generating energy. The fourth is cultivating resilience. The fifth is building social capital. The sixth is tackling your fears. Okay, so we're going to go and we're going to go jump right into these and talk about each one of these and how they can actually help you to accomplish your potential in this life. What will you do with 90,000 hours of your life? It is so important to find and do satisfying work. If you are not engaged in satisfying work in your life right now, this is something that is so important. And like the average person works about 90,000 hours of their life. So are you okay with, you know, working those 90,000 hours doing something that you don't really love, that you are not really satisfied with. And there's a lot of things. I've talked a little bit about some of these on this podcast before, uh, especially about passion. I've talked about some of Cal Newport's research and uh, his book called Be So Good They Can't Ignore You, where he talks about instead of developing passion, develop craftsmanship. And I really love that as well. Um, and I also, in that book, he, he even talks about uh, what's called the self-determination theory. And uh, I'm going to talk about that and add even, uh, even more to that uh, as well. So let's dive right in. So the first thing in the self-determination theory is, and these are things that will help determine whether or not you are going to stay satisfied at your job in, your, in what you do for your work. So uh, if you don't have these things, it's pretty likely, like if you could, you could score yourself on these right now as I talk about these from one to 10 and think, do I love my job or my career based on this stuff? And if you don't have one of these things, either you've got to get it from somewhere else uh, in your life or, or it might be time to, you know, think about another uh, career and transition into that uh, because, I don't think it's worth, I don't think it's worth it, right? Life is so precious. And if you don't have satisfying work, it's so much of your time of your life that you spend doing whatever that thing is that you're not necessarily in love with. So this is what I, what they say in the self-determination theory, which is relatedness. So uh, some people say ramp uh, some people, well, I'll just, I'll just say it. So relatedness is the R autonomy is the A mastery or competence uh, is the M and then purpose is the P. Okay. So we're going to talk about these four things for a second here and maybe another one in a minute too, which, well, I'll just say it now. It's basically, um, you know, fair compensation. I think I would add to that 
as well. So relatedness is, do you feel like you belong? Do you have a clear role where you work in the career that you're doing? Is it, do the, do the people you work with make you want to be the person you want to be? Uh, do you feel like yourself with them? Or do you feel like you have to play a part? Do you feel like you have to basically act and be a really good actor in some uh, somebody else's, you know, <laughs> play of life? Uh, do you feel like you're living somebody else's life at work? You know, that's really important to ask yourself. If you do, I would say I would score myself really low on the relatedness uh, portion of this. Uh, autonomy. Do you have control over the day? And do you feel that your actions are important? Do you think, do you feel like what you're doing is making a difference? That's a really big deal. Um, you know, and, 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 and also, do you feel like you can choose what you do with your time? Or is it just, you know, you just do what they tell you? And, you know, I've definitely had jobs where I just do what, what they tell me, me to do. And they definitely help uh, in other bigger goals that I have had. And that's okay. I obviously think that's okay. Um, I sold pest control <laughs> for for summers uh, during my college years at, at the university, and I I am glad that I did that because I learned a lot and it was my favorite thing. But I made a lot of money. I paid for my education, which has opened up so many doors. So uh, autonomy is so important. Okay, mastery. Do you feel like you're getting better at what you do, and are you learning? Like, are you are you growing? Do you feel like you know this is something that your your competence is increasing in something? Are you are you? This is what I love where that that Cal Newport talks about is like, you know, are you becoming the best in your industry at what you do, or in the world, or in your sphere of influence? There's something about doing work that makes you feel like you're growing and getting better that is so crucial for feeling satisfied in life and you know if you feel like you're if you feel like you're having that sort of mastery um as you as you do this then i I, as you do the work that you do then i think it's a good sign if you don't feel like you're going anywhere if you don't feel like your career is taking you in a direction of growth um at some point and i don't even need to tell you this at some point, you're going to say, gosh, I think I need to switch or I need something different. So I think that that's so important. Mastery is a big one. Purpose, I think, is almost the biggest one for me too. Uh, why are you doing what you do? Does this thing that you do for your work align with why you are here? If it doesn't, and if you're not doing this for any, any reason other than to make money, you know, I respect that. I respect making money, which we'll talk about in a second here. But I think it won't always last very long. Okay, I made tons of money doing, you know, selling pest control. Uh, I've made a lot of money doing online business stuff. That's that isn't necessarily my favorite line of work. <laughs> uh, at least the specific uh, things that I did for this this uh, one business that was really successful financially. Um, it was satisfying. It felt cool to be like, wow, I'm, I'm getting better at this online marketing thing. But it didn't necessarily align with the thing that I know that I'm here to do on earth. And so, you know, is it what, what are you doing in your work that helps you to feel that? Do you feel that? 
in your job, in your career, in your what you do with your time every day. Uh, that's, I think, so important. Okay, so, and think about those four things. Rate yourself from one to 10. Do you feel like from relatedness, autonomy, mastery, and purpose standpoint, you know, how do you rate yourself on those? And then I would say also, and we've talked about this a bit on this podcast, that, you know, fair compensation, I think is important. If you don't feel like you're fairly being compensated, then obviously you're not going to last long. Uh, You're going (laughs) to look for a different job. You're going to think about other places. And especially if your RAMP score is really low and you're not fairly getting, getting fairly compensated, then, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's worth uh, pursuing that as a career. And it is tricky sometimes. I mean, I know I'm, I am supporting my family right now by what I do. Um, And switching careers is not an easy thing to do. I completely agree with that. Uh, And if you're saying to yourself, yeah, but I got a family to feed. Hey, I totally agree. And I, and I, I think that's honorable and I totally respect you. And I think if you, and and there's another episode actually with Sam Inch in this podcast that you can look at where she talks about, maybe you can actually create that. Maybe you can actually curate your current career and job to be able to make it a little bit more, you know, friendly to the self-determination theory of relatedness, autonomy, mastery, purpose. And then I would add satisfying or, um, you know, fair compensation. So think about those things. That's the first thing that I think we need to look at when we're thinking about what are we doing to accomplish our potential. The second thing that I want to talk about is life strategy. This is so important, guys. Knowing your purpose in life can, and your strategy in life, right, what you're headed towards can add up to seven years of life expectancy. Some of the really interesting research from the Blue Zones Project uh, found that, uh, that the people who are living the longest had up to seven years more life expectancy when they knew what their purpose was in life. So I want to talk about three specific things uh, coming from three different authors and researchers that are highly respected, I think, um, in their fields. One of them is Clayton Christensen, who wrote the book, How Will You Measure Your Life? He talks about having a deliberate versus an emergent strategy and, and making sure that we are capable of both. So having this deliberate strategy in our life, right, is so important. Okay, what what do I want to do with the next two years? What do I want to do with the next five years? What do I want to do and where do I want to be in the next 10 years? Okay, so like right now I'm 35 years old and 40, when I'm 45, you know, I, there's certain things that I definitely want to have accomplished, experienced, uh, people that I want have wanted to meet, uh, things that I want to become, uh, things that I want to learn, all this stuff. So, and that's kind of my deliberate strategy. If I were to look back five years ago from now, which is interesting because today I asked on my Instagram uh, account, you know, what would you have told yourself five years ago if you could give yourself one piece of advice? <laughs> what would you have told yourself? And I think it was so interesting to see what people's responses were to this question. You know, what would you what would you tell yourself? And so many of them, so many of these answers had to do with what I would call your emergent strategy, right? So you have this deliberate strategy. This is what I want to do. These are my goals. And then stuff happens that you're like, whoa, I had no idea that was coming. For me, that was like, you know, I had no idea that... 
that my wife would have a hospitalization for a mental illness that just totally changed the way we thought about everything in our life, completely has revolutionized our worldviews on so many different things. And, um, and so I've had to come up with, together with her, an emergent strategy, right? Just like any good business has a deliberate strategy, and then they are really good, too, at pivoting into this emergent strategy. And if you're not, you know, able to uh, cope with that, that emergent strategy and pivot, it can be really hard. It can be extremely hard. And I think uh, we'll talk about that when we are talking about resilience as well. So be ready to pivot when new opportunities arise. The second author I want to talk about and professor, his name is Stacy Taniguchi. Oh, he's got some super cool stories to tell. I mean, this guy, he one time saved his friend uh, from a bear who was dragging him out of a tent in his sleeping bag. Uh, and he basically fought off this bear, saved his friend's life, and his friend was asleep the whole time. <laughs> so I think that's pretty crazy. But he has all these amazing things that he's done, like climbing Mount Everest, uh, you know, so many cool things that he has added to what he calls his life 100 life list. And he says, uh, from the standpoint of, of religion and, and spirituality, God doesn't just want you to endure this life. So I love that. I think that's so cool. Like, I don't think we're just here to endure this life. I think we should look at our life and say, what do I want to experience? What do I want to accomplish? Who do I want to become? I, I added a bunch to my, uh, my kind of 100 list myself. And, um, you know, I, I love thinking about this because it, it's, it's something that uh, makes, me, makes me excited. It makes me come alive, right? It makes me think, what am I doing with my life? Uh, and things like learning a different language, things like going and hugging, this is a silly one, but, you know, hugging the tallest tree in the world, um, and maybe the, the thickest tree in the world, and maybe even the oldest tree in the world. Uh, you know, learning how to uh, do martial arts and maybe getting my black belt. Uh, you know, I, I just recently started to learn how to play the cello, which was a big one on my list of learning to play, learn, relearning music again. It's like a foreign language, right? And then learning how to play the cello, which is also like another foreign language. Uh, it's been amazing and it's helped me to thrive. So what's on your 100 list? What is, it, what is something that you want to experience? What are a bunch of things you want to experience? And what would thriving look like if you had a list of those things? That's something that Stacey Taniguchi talks about. He, you can Google him. There's all kinds of super cool stories that he can tell you. The other one is when we have all these deliberate things, this 100 list you know, that we're saying yes to, how do we say no? And Greg McKeown, he's talked about this in his book, Essentialism. So powerful. This book is amazing. Guys. If you read one book this year, if you're not a reader and you don't like reading books, but you want to read at least one book, read Essentialism. This will change your life. And he talks about, in this book, he talks about the art of saying no. Okay. And one of his really powerful quotes is, if you don't prioritize your life, somebody else will. And, it, and it's so true. And I think it's, it's powerful to know how to say no to things. I've talked about that in this podcast 
a couple of episodes where I talk about the art of the yes, no, yes, right? And, and how much we can, uh, can avoid, how much we can also build by learning how to say no. So those are a couple of things that I think are so important to having a life strategy that is just key, guys. It's so important to create a strategy for your life. Make a plan. You can look back. I mean, you could, you could, if you did not have a plan for your life, if you just kind of let things happen to you, you can look back in 20 years. I mean, how fast does five years go, right? And then four of those goes even faster. Like you just, it just flies by. We just, I just really celebrated my grandmother's 100th birthday. And we were talking about the decades of her life as if they just were flying by. And I think it just blows my mind how fast six years has gone. I'm almost, almost about to celebrate my six-year anniversary with my wife. And I'm like, we just got married. <laughs> so Time goes so fast. And if you don't have a deliberate strategy, life strategy, and a purpose to your life, then it can get away from you. So make sure you have that. Add life expectancy to your life with that deliberate life strategy. Okay, the third thing I want to talk about is generating energy. The world belongs to the energetic. That's what Ralph Waldo Emerson said. I totally agree with him. And I think that we need to really guard our energy. This is something I've been thinking about a lot lately as well, because I think it's not just, you know, physical energy. It's not just, you know, I didn't I didn't sleep enough, though I think getting seven more than seven hours of sleep at night is critical, like Ariana Huffington talks about in The Sleep Revolution. If you haven't read that book, highly recommend it. And I think it's so important not just to, to focus on our physical energy, right, from sleeping, nutrition, exercise, those things are so important, uh, but also our emotional energy, our cognitive clarity. A lot of times when we're saying, oh, I just don't have enough energy, it's, it's actually not energy. It's, it's not, not physical energy, though I think those things can definitely be affected, but I think it's emotional. I think it could be just cognitive depletion, right? Uh, one of those two things. And I think um, you could even get into the spiritual energy, right? And and how much those things impact us is incredible. It's so huge. Uh, one of the things that um, we learned about in my uh, certification course uh, for applied positive psychology was this idea of cognitive depletion and cognitive repletion and how things like stress, pain, decision overwhelm, multitasking, restraining impulses, not sleeping enough, um, depressants like alcohol, uh, having a weak immune system or low blood sugar, those things, these can all deplete our, our energy cognitively. Uh, and then re- we can also replete our energy by um, actually exercising strengths, doing things that we're good at. It's interesting that energy can be generated by doing things that require energy. So that's really interesting to find those. Mindful breathing can help. Creating rules to live by. Having, like we said in the last one, a life strategy so that we don't have to make as many decisions every time. Making decisions can really wear us out. Uh, eating really good foods and complex carbohydrates, naps are really good, and sleeping well enough. Uh, 
laughing a lot, connecting to other people who you love and who believe in you, having uh, time, spending time in nature last night. We went to this beautiful canyon. It was so amazing. And just like walking across these rivers and, you know, touching this grass that was just naturally growing uh, and just realizing that the world is moving and doing things regardless of me, right? I don't have to keep them going. It just almost is refreshing to me. And then positive emotions. We've talked about this a bit on this podcast with the broaden and build theory from Barbara Friedrichson, how if we're experiencing positive emotions, really, we, our brain and our body works better. And there's tons of research that shows that. So, you know, where do you feel the most energized? What, and then what drains your energy? So make sure you are doing things that energize you and really trying to avoid those things and say no to those things that uh, drain your energy. So the fourth thing that we're going to talk about is cultivating resilience. I've talked about this a little bit before too and the importance within our happiness to be able to bounce back. Okay, I think happiness is really a skill and one of the biggest skill sets within that you know, mega skill of happiness is to be able to bounce back well. Okay, things are going to happen. People a lot of times ask me, hey, you're the happiness guy, right? (laughs) You're the expert in in happiness, the the positive psychology dude, uh, the podcaster about happiness. Are you just like always happy? And I'm like, no, (laughs) I'm not happy. I'm actually uh, not always feeling positive emotion all the times. I actually, a lot of times, step into those negative emotions. And uh, it's just a normal human thing, right? I'm a human just like everybody else. But what's different about me and what's different about a lot of people who you might think of and say, like, gosh, they're so happy, is that I prioritize the things that allow me to experience positive emotion more often. I habitualize the things that I know that the research shows will make me a happier, healthier person. There's so much that we can do, right? We control so many of the decisions that happen to us in our life. There's circumstances that are beyond our control. But and, and our genetics are a part of that, right? We don't necessarily have a choice over that. But we do control so many things. And there are so many, I don't care, you know, and I do care. But like, I, I, I'll rephrase that. I, I would say that there are certain people who, even with clinical depression, uh, can choose. They can choose and make a habit of things that will increase their happiness and their well-being. And, you know resilience is so important. So look, cultivating this ability to bounce back from things is a huge, uh, a huge skill set in reaching your potential. Fall seven, rise eight. I love what Angela Duckworth talks about in her book, Grit, about that. And, you know, I actually teach people how to ski sometimes. I live in Utah. There's snow. It snows here. It's actually snowed here way too much this year. (laughs) There's still snow on the mountains since like June. Uh, But uh, the first thing I teach people when we are learning how to ski is how to fall. Okay, so how well can you fall? You've got to be able to fall well. 
if you can't fall well, it doesn't matter how fast you go because the first time you fall, you're going to totally mess yourself up. So the first thing I teach people is to fall, you know, be able to fall well on your skis. And I think that's so important. How well do you fail? How well do you do when failing in life? You're going to fail. You, it's just, it's going to happen. Okay. So how well do you fail? How well do you look at that failure and tell yourself a good story versus a bad story? right? And that's a huge piece of it, right? What type of story are you telling yourself about your life? We are constantly telling ourselves a story about our life. Is it a redemption story that that you're like, yeah, I am the type of person who bounces back. I'm the type of person who gets through things. And this is just one uh, step towards becoming a better version of myself. Or is it a contamination story where you, you know, are uh, just a victim where you're just a victim to life and a victim to the things that happen to you. Is life happening to you or are you happening to life and things happening in your life and then you choose to learn from that, to grow from that, right? This whole growth mindset. So what story are you telling yourself? Are you adding you know, uh, experiences and assets to yourself that help you in certain difficult situations. I think one of the biggest assets you can add to yourself is social capital, uh, is, is this idea of, of relationships, right? Who do you go to when you are down? One of my friends just called me uh, who's going through a really difficult thing right now, and we haven't talked for I don't know how long. It's almost probably been a year. Uh, but he knows that he can come to me uh, you know, and because I've gone through certain really hard things that he's going through right now, and, and, and he reached out to me. And I think when you have somebody to reach out to, when you, you, nobody ever plans to get divorced, nobody ever plans to, you know, have a mental breakdown, nobody ever plans to have a miscarriage or a, you know, infertility or, uh, you know, a suicide happen in their family or something like you know nobody plans for that stuff but you can plan to have a backup and a safety net and uh, a group of people who you can reach out to so building that resilient circle of friends who you can entrust with your you know most intimate experiences of your life that are difficult is so key I think it's huge and it's a humongous, uh, you know, uh, way, way to, to create this resilience in, in people who don't necessarily reach their potential. It might just be because they're not, a, they're not able to transition well because their resilience skills have not been developed. I love what Darwin says. It's not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent that survives. It is the one that is most adaptable to change. So are you adaptable to change? Are you going to be able to adapt to the things that are difficult? Who will you call on in a major pickle in your life? What are the weakest points in your life right now? Is it financial? Is it emotional? Is it physical? Is it social? Like where where do you need to strengthen? If your life was a fortress, where could there be a break in, <laughs> you know? Um, and then how can you improve the way that you tell the story of your life? The fifth thing I want to talk to you guys about is building social capital. This is 
I think probably one of the most important things to learn how to do and to continue doing your whole life. Okay, so social capital. What is social capital? I, I think social capital is this idea of, like we were just talking about in resilience, of having this group of close friends and a, a, a group that you belong to, a community that you belong to, feeling like you're a part of something, uh, believing that you play a role in other people's lives, uh, being a part of a, a, a community of people who you contribute to and who contribute to you. In Japan, in Okinawa, they have this thing called the Moai, right? They, they commit themselves to, for life to this group of friends. They're not even family. They're just friends, and they are friends for life, right? It's like blood brothers almost, and um, they, they, they commit to each other. They support each other in the difficult times, and they celebrate each other in the, in the good times. Belonging to a community and, and being a part of a group that you where you feel like you can be fully yourself, not just fitting in, but like belonging, right? Being yourself fully is super important, so, so important. I think one of the things that we can do to be able to uh, create this and build this social capital is invest in communication skills. Communicating is one of the most important things when building social capital, right? I think all good and close relationships are built on really good communication. And so if you don't feel like you can communicate well uh, through difficult, crucial conversations where there's emotional difficulty or something that feels really uncomfortable to talk about, that's a, that's a really important area to invest in communication skills around those things because that's what will help you to keep those relationships close and to continue to cultivate those. Uh, investing in close relationships and trying to build the social capital is the number one predictor of your health and happiness. I mean, studies have showed this. I've talked about this all, all over this podcast. And the lack of close relationships is also the number one cause of regret of the dying. Loneliness, which I would say is kind of the opposite of social capital, this concept in your head that you think you're alone, right? This perception of social isolation. Chronic loneliness is is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes per day. So this is really important, guys. Building social capital will not only keep you healthy and happy and resilient, but also building the people around you that uh, will help you to believe in the highest in yourself, the, the ones who will push you to, to go after your potential, right? Who do you stay around? Why do you stay around them? Is it because they, uh, is it because you need them? Is it because they build you up? Is it because they believe in the highest in you? Or, you know, who do you stay around? There's a lot of people who have said the five people you're around the most is basically what you become. Uh, and I think there's actually quite a bit of, of research that shows that that's true. Uh, there's there's non-communicable diseases that are contagious uh, based off of who you spend your time with. The people who, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's people who are... Um, with these groups of other people, um, when 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 you're around people who are are depressed and lonely, like you you experience those things too. There's studies that show that when you're around people who actually are obese, they actually have studies that show that the people who become obese, it's because they uh, there's a correlation between that uh, uh, 
being around people who are also obese. So, um, you know, lots of interesting things about that. So pick the people that you want to build social capital with um, and and really uh, curate that group really carefully and um, and make sure you have those people to, to be able to, to be there for you um, in your hard times as well as in your good times, right? So who do you consider your closest friends? And when was the last time you spent quality time connecting with, with those friends? Uh, one thing that I love that I do actually is what I call my friendship wall. And it's uh, basically, I just, you know, a lot of times we have these pictures of our friends in our phone, <laughs> but uh, it's really, it's really something we don't access. We, we don't really get to it very often. Um, or, or we post them on social media and then we have to go through an advertising uh, wall to be able to get to them, right? Or an algorithm. And um, we don't necessarily seek after this. So what I've done is I've actually printed off the photos of me and my friends and I stuck them on a wall. So every day I walk by that and I think, oh yeah, like I remember I love these people. They're so good. I want, I should probably reach out to Josh or to Brandon or to Dave. Um, maybe I should text Seth. Maybe I should, you know, go have lunch with Don or, you know, hang out with Scott um, or tell, you know, uh, Rob how much I think he's a cool guy or, you know, Carrie how much I appreciate her love for positive psychology or, you know, Stuart, how much he's inspired me to uh, try to seek for the wisdom inside of me. So these these things really help us. And um, to to remember that this friendship wall helps us remember that we are not alone. It helps me to remember that I'm not alone. It helps me to think I should reach out to these people. So building social capital, I think, is hugely important for our well-being and for accomplishing our potential. The last thing I'll say about this is that I've talked about this on this podcast too, is that the first person that we tell our dreams is, uh, is a huge predictor of whether or not their, their reaction to that is a huge predictor of whether or not we will actually go after those things. So choose wisely who you tell your dreams to and, and also, uh, make sure that you surround yourself with greatness, surround yourself with people who really build you up and who help you to accomplish your potential. Okay, the last one is tackling your fears. This is so important. I love the movie We Bought a Zoo because he talks, he says this this quote to his son, and I, I don't think this is going to ruin the movie if you still want to watch this. I mean, it's a pretty old movie, so if you haven't seen it by now. <laughs> uh, but he says this, all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. I just, I love that. And it's interesting because emotions have about a 90 second shelf life, right? In our brains, neurologically, um, the neurotransmitters that create these feelings of emotions um, only last about 90 seconds. And so it's the thought that keeps the fear alive for more than the life of the emotion. So really, if you, if you have 20 seconds of insane courage, I think that's the kind of thing that can help you to get past that fear, you know. And it's also really interesting that the regrets of the of of not doing are the hardest, and it's it's more difficult to overcome regret of things we did not do rather than regretting the things that we did do. So for whatever reason, our brain has a harder time processing the things we didn't do. So what is it that you would do, right? What's one thing that you would regret not doing? this year, this month, whatever, but, but fear holds you back. 
You know, what's one thing that you would regret not doing in the next two years, but fear holds you back? So what would you do with 20 seconds of insane courage? So think about that. Okay, so overcome those fears. Remember that fear just has a 90-second shelf life in your brain. It's the thought. It's the thought that holds you back, right? It's the thought that keeps that emotion coming back and coming up in your, in your, in your body. So, so just think, what would you do with 20 seconds of insane courage? And go and do that thing. Overcome your fears. What is it that you're afraid of? What would you do with your potential? What potential would you reach if you could just overcome your fear? So I just want to leave you with that and and that you really can accomplish your potential. Okay, so make sure that you prioritize these things in your life. I don't want to see you like Steve Prefontaine who did not fully accomplish his, his potential in life, right? Uh, or, or like other people who don't have a strategic life strategy, who maybe don't look for and seek after and prioritize satisfying work, you know, who, who don't do the things that generate energy in their lives, who don't cultivate that resilience and that ability to bounce back, and who are not necessarily building that social capital for that time in your life when you really are going to get hit by a train that you didn't see coming. And, um, and then tackling their fears people who don't go after and tackle their fears might get stuck in this this rut of not actually uh, reaching your potential so i invite you today to do these things to reach your potential and i absolutely believe that you can i know that every single person in in this on this earth has something amazing to accomplish you who are listening to this right now, you have something to give this world that no one else can. And if you don't go after your potential, it might not happen. So I really encourage you to go after your potential, make it happen. I I, I just love um, Shia LaBeouf. It's, it's so corny, but he has this video where he just says, do it, just do it, right? Just go after it. Don't you know, don't let your dreams be dreams <laughs> and uh, make it happen. Stop saying you're going to do it tomorrow. Just make whatever that thing is a priority and reach your potential. I really hope this episode helped you to have a more happy life today. If you enjoy this episode, share it and let me know by tapping the stars in the reviews. You can also find me on Instagram at morehappylife or by going to morehappylife.co. Thanks for listening and see you soon.